Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book just for trying out their service. Some of the available titles include The Bedwetter by Sarah Silverman, Speaking in Tongues by Neil Gaiman, and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest by Stieg Larson. So after you finish listening to BITD, why don't you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark and get your free audiobook today. Pardon me while I have a strange interlude. We all feel better. In the dark. We all feel better. In the dark. We all feel better. In the dark. Oh, are you taking the piss? Yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up. Oh man. I'm gonna fucking kill you. He's a Bring in the noise. Since 07. Yeah. The BK wait all day with these two. DJ and Ferguson here to teach you. Death traps on a short way to kill. And even ain't Raquel, not now, never will. Boys don't play, bring on all flicks. If you ain't coming with it, they will tell you that it's ish. Great, great man, you will get applause. And when we say Christabel, everybody please pause. Clive Barker, the musical, the man with the S to the Disney unusual. Duck and cover when Tom's on the rant, or please sing along, cause you know that they can't. <laughs> so this one goes out to you and yours, and all the great members of the message boards. They call me B hyphen, and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better in the dark, yeah, yeah. It's alright, that, that's in every country. That's, that's what they call a sanity clause. <laughs> you can't fool me, there ain't no sanity clause. Clear? <laughs> Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make a head of tail out of it. I'm sick of these conventional marriages. One woman and one man was good enough for your grandmother, but who wants to marry your grandmother? Nobody. Not even your grandfather. And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie. Right, Devin? Go watch that movie. (laughs) Hello? I must be going. I'm glad I'm here, but I say I must be going. (laughs) That's about. Oh, you don't know the whole thing. I can go to the whole thing. I could look it up. No, I thought you had it committed just, to memory. Zowie, Zowie, Zowie. That's three Zowies. That's three Zowies. Just a reminder that this episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by the Featherbed Desk Company with three locations on 125th Street, 125th Street, 125th Street. <laughs> you give us the feathers, we'll give you the bird. And if that doesn't give you a clue as to what this episode is about, then you must not be a fan of classic comedy. Which is probably most of you, let's be honest. No, no, I don't think so. I think we have a pretty literate audience here who are well-versed in... But let's also, you know, that, and if they're not, that's why we're here. We're here to educate them. Something that is a problem, we may have touched upon this in the past, is that the bulk of movie, the movie going public these days, think that movies started in 1980. Okay. And they tend to ignore this wide and vast and tall treasury of wonderful cinema that happened before then. You know what never fails to crack me up? What? And this happens to me all the time. I'm getting into a discussion mm-hmm. with people. And we're talking, we're talking. And sooner or later, it comes around to movies. And they say, oh, 
do you like movies? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, I watch a movie. I do a podcast, and a friend of mine, we goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I'm a big movie fan. I'm a, oh, man. So then I start naming movies. Mm-hmm. Well, I've never heard of that. Well, what about so well, I've never heard of that one. But if I named something that was out yeah. six months ago or a year, oh, yeah, man, I saw that. Now, I'm not being snobbish, but I think there's a difference. When you tell me that you're a movie fan, that means that I can discuss with you Avatar and Battleship Potemkin, and you know what I'm talking right. about. If I make the correlations between those two movies, you know what I'm talking about. If you tell me that you've never seen, I don't know, Ride the High Country, right. or if you've never seen just about any classic movie that you can mm-hmm. if you've never seen Gone with the Wind. I know plenty of people who've never seen Gone with the Wind. Well, why? You've never seen Gone with the Wind. Ah, oh, man, who wants to watch that? That thing is old. Okay, but Or corny. That's the thing I, used to, I hear a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, man, who wants to watch that corny? Or, especially science fiction fans, who I find to be very snobbish, because they said... Well, I can't watch it. Well, why not? Well, no, man. The special effects are too cheesy. But correct me if I'm wrong. Science fiction isn't entirely about special effects. It's also supposed to be about ideas and extrapolations. Take one of the most thought-provoking science fiction movies of all time, The Date Earth Still. Mm-hmm. We are not talking about state-of-the-art special effects. Right. But the movie was made in 1954. What do you want? They didn't have CGI in, right. in the 1950s. And considering what they did to work with, the effects are pretty impressive as far as I'm I'm going to put myself out on a limb which I always do there's some movies that I would rather watch from that period rather than CGI because the practical effects to me are sometimes a lot more effective than CGI well you know me how much I absolutely abhor CGI and prefer practical effects but also it shocks me when somebody claims to be a horror fan and is going to talk on and on about various gore effects in the films that are in the last 20 years, but doesn't want to talk about the Universal Monster movies, or Val Luton, or Todd Browning. Just because you've seen Saw 30 times doesn't make you a horror fan, it makes you a fan of Saw. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, man, I'm a big horror fan. Like the reaction we got, like the reaction we got after you did the now legendary, what made Springwood famous. It's legendary? Of course. Oh, wow. Brett, and we already cool. got requests from people going, okay, so when are you going to do Jason? And we're like, we don't want to do Jason. But Jason's a classic, man. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I've even gotten grief from my sister, who's a big Friday mm-hmm. the 13th fan. She said, oh, well, when are you going to do Friday the 13th? Well, we're not going to do it. What do you mean you're not going to? You have to do Friday the 13th. I admire people in their passion for that movie right. series. I have to admit. i got to give them credit. Especially when you consider what they've had to slog through. At least... With the Halloween series and with the Nightmare on Elm Street series, there are a handful of films that we can point out and say, yes, that makes it worth it. But that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about yes. this episode, which is about the Marx Brothers. The Marx Brothers, yes. Oddly enough. How we got over here, I have no idea. We're, we're talking about a comedy. <laughs> so don't yes. ask me how we and got part there. of the summer of fun. We just want to remind you before we continue that Better in the Dark is proud to be sponsored by Audible.com, where you can get a free download by going to www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark. Download a free book and try out their service for two weeks, and who knows, you might like it. And if you do, keep it up. And if you don't, well, don't say we didn't tell you. (laughs) And here are some books that you can find on Audible.com right now that tie in with the subject of today's episode. You can get Love Groucho by Groucho Marx. This is Groucho Marx's autobiography, narrated by Frank Ferrante. It's an hour and 13 minutes, and you can get that for $7.49. Or you can get Love Groucho, Letters from Groucho Marx to His Daughter Miriam 
by Groucho Marx. So go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark and download your free book today. Audible.com. <laughs> so we're not, we're not sure what we're calling these segments, by the way. We haven't decided on a name. Is Derek and Tom run off at the mouth? Yeah. <laughs> because this is not going to be a movie by movie examination. Well, this actually, is, what we wanted to do, because every once in a while, and frankly, folks, it's the summertime, and I want to be honest with you. I don't want to work that hard. <laughs> and I don't want Tom to be sitting in his hovel, as he calls it. He calls I don't call it that, folks. I don't want him to be sitting there editing these intensive, heavy episodes. So once in a while, we thought it'd be just fun just to have an episode like this where we can just kick the willy bobo back right. and forth and maybe hopefully educate you about maybe something you didn't know about. Maybe the subject, which this one mm-hmm. is the Marx Brothers. Also, we decided that this year, when we tried to map out 2010, we wanted to start talking about some of the older stuff that people just dismiss. And we're talking about the really older stuff from like the dawn of cinema. Well, stuff that people don't know about. Yeah. Because it's not even that a lot of people dismiss. A lot of people just don't know or don't know where to begin. Because I get that right. all the time from people. They say, okay, well, they would want to watch, let's say, for instance, John Wayne movies. Or they right. would want to watch black films from the 20s and yeah. 30s. But they simply don't know where to start. So they ask, well, Derek, well, where to watch? Okay, well, here's where start with this, then you go to this, mm-hmm. and go to this, go to that. Which is one of the reasons why I had originally suggested, and it was discarded, the title Cinema Archaeology. Uh, but Derek thought it was too highfalutin. I thought it was too pretentious. <laughs> you know what, sweet. But before we get dive into the subject of the marshmallows, we got several bits of business okay. that we need to we get into. We got some listener mail. We got the mail. Okay, so let's, let's take care of that. Let's do the mail. From our then. good friend Ben Rush. And Ben writes, Hello, gentlemen. From hearing Thomas on podcasts over the last few months, you have your views on comics. And I would like to know what is on your pull list and any books you can recommend to people. Also a question to you. What do you think the greatest comic book stories are in the last few years? After your Die Hard cast, it really makes me want to pull, pull the DVDs, so thank you for that. And as you are doing the last Bond film, did you feel the Batman Begins remix on the first Craig Bond? Thank you for your time. Well, you'll have already found that out because I'm editing as we speak. Today is the 18th? Today is the 18th, yes. The 18th, 18th of, of June. June. I am in the process of editing the episode that's going to go out on the 20th, which is, of course, the final Guilt Edge Bond, so you'll learn what we thought of the reign of Craig. So by the time you've heard this, you'll have already heard that. Right. <laughs> uh, thank you for the kind words about the Die Hard cast. And we do feel like we should apologize to Donovan. Because we kind of screwed up his levels a little bit. Yeah, but we're going to have him back. Yeah, oh, Stallone episode. That's right. Just because we're going to do a Stallone episode, and for no reason that he can come back and do Stallone. Do the Stallone translator. I'm serious. You know, I've been telling people that they say, "Oh, you're serious." You're going to? Oh, yes, I am. Even if it's just having him on when we review the Expendables. Have you heard that Sylvester Stallone? He scrapped his plans. He was going to do another Rambo and another Rocky. Yes, I heard about that. To do two more because supposedly the studio was so hyped about Mm -hmm. the Expendable and the test audiences. that they showed it to, loved it so much, that now he's going to do two more of them. So, I've got my pull list up from Discount Comic Book Service, so I can tell you exactly what I've got. Okay. And it's a very short list, actually, these days. Yeah, and actually, folks, as I've said many times before, I don't have a pull list because I don't buy a single issue of comics. I buy trade paperbacks. That's it. I'm slowly trying to move towards being primarily a trade person. Okay. Because it's just getting too expensive. When I'm pulling it down on a monthly basis, on this is on discount comic book services where 
you get at the very least about thirty percent off. Right. And I'm pulling seventy, eighty, ninety dollars a month. It, there's mm-hmm. something wrong. Yeah. And actually, what I've been doing more and mm-hmm. more and more is I'm going to the library and I'm yeah. borrowing the graphic novels and trade paperbacks from there, reading mm-hmm. them, and say, okay, well, this is something I want to have in my permanent collection. Then I'll go out right. and I'll get like right. my own have been recommended to me for years. So I went, and the library had the whole collected series in there. Right. I got it. I loved it. I went out and bought it. So here's what I got. Oh, I think Anna Mercury is over at this point, so I'll probably remove it, which is the Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis has been doing a series of mini-series featuring kind of reimagined types of pulp heroes, and Anna Mercury is one of them. Pope is coming back. Back Issue Magazine, which mm-hmm. is an excellent magazine about comics from the 70s and 80s. Okay. Fantastic Four, which is going through an excellent run right now with Hickman. Yeah. I heard it's coming back. It's really good and really smart and really clever. Gravel, another Warren Ellis series about a combat magician. A combat A magician. combat magician. Green Lantern Corps, which if there's one thing I can say positive about... Enduring Blackest Night, which I originally did only because me and Michael Bailey said, Hey, you know what would be cool? If we did Blackest Night for Views in the Long Box. Okay. Man, did we regret that decision. But I came away <laughs> with Green Lantern Corps, which is a great book written by Peter Tomasi. Tomasi is leaving the book soon, and it features the best rendition of Guy Gardner I've seen in an incredibly long while. You know how Guy Gardner's been. How long that's been, yeah. Hellblazer, which is presently written by Peter Milligan. Uh, The official handbook of the Marvel Universe. I keep them by my computer station Mm -hmm. so that if I need a quick reference, because they're not really detailed like the old 80s ones. That's what I'm saying. This is a reissue? No, it's not the reissue. Or a reprint or something? It's a new version. In fact, I can show you what they look like. Okay, cool. It's a lot less... Ah, okay. He's just handed me a copy of it, folks. The A to Z update. It's... Oh, that's a sweet cover. Gives a... Gus Vasquez, I think, did that. Go ahead. Gus Vasquez is kind of the official house artist now for the handbook. It gives a nice overview of a character. So if I'm looking for a character to include in West Coast Avengers, I can just look through this and say, oh, this is interesting. Right, yeah. For guys like us who write Mm -hmm. fan fiction, this stuff is valuable. I have the Marvel, but I've got the big hardcover. I've got the universe, the Marvel Universe book. And when I'm writing fan fiction, I have it on my desk. i got to look up something real quick. I say, okay. It's a lot less detailed like the 80s one, the one that you and I remember from when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. They were very precise about how this one lifted this much, and this one did this one. I remember that one because some of the explanations in that one was so far out, like Cyclops. The original explanation was that his eyes had been replaced with dimensional apertures. (laughs) Wait a He just absorbed solar power and releases it through his eye. Come on, give me a... And Um, they actually rewrote it later on to say, yeah, we did go too far out with that one. The final one is Secret Six, which is written by Gail Simone. Which I've heard nothing but good things about. Very brutal. It's definitely in the DC Universe house style, but it's also incredibly well written. Because everybody said what she's doing with Catman. Yeah. It took a character that was a joke Mm -hmm. and turned him into a credible supervillain. There are a couple of things I dropped recently. I dropped Teen Titans from my list, which is a big deal. Anybody who knows me. But I thought that you would pick I'm it up. I'm going to come up. back, yeah. yeah I'm going to start when yeah. our friend JT Cruel starts writing it out. I'll be 
picking it up on a month-by-month basis and see if it's okay to put back on. Oh, okay. There are a couple of other things that right now I'm on a month-to-month basis because there's some things you don't know if they're going to take. Like the Black Widow series is really good, but apparently the writer has left after one story arc. So I don't know what's going to happen after that. Sean McKeever's Young Allies. Sean McKeever did the Gravity miniseries. And you know how much I like that. Yeah, you like Gravity, yeah. Okay. Great writer. Then signed an exclusive deal with DC. Became... Googam! Son of Goom! Became the writer of Teen Titans and proceeded to suck up the joint really badly. (laughs) It was really painful to read those two years that he was doing the book. Great. Now he left DC. He's back at Marvel. The first thing he's written that came out was a Firestar one-shot, which was as if he had never left Marvel. This is the writer that I liked that I wanted to follow to DC. I haven't read the first issue. I'm really looking forward to Young Allies. If only for the fact that the villains are supposedly illegitimate children of established Marvel villains who are going around calling themselves the Bastards of Evil. Oh, shit. (laughs) I like that. This is cool. I have to get this. Some of these characters, I'm looking at the redesign of some of them. Yeah. Like Comet Man. And, oh, why Wingfoot? My yep. man. Did the She-Hulk for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Anybody that can stand up to that, <laughs> boy, he's... He likes the strong women, you he, do. He's got my vote. Yeah, this is cool. So okay. that's what I've got on my pull list. Greatest comic book stories in the last few years. Hmm. Me thinks I smell another episode. Well, you know what's going to happen if we did a whole episode on comic books. Uh, the lynching or the stoning? Yeah, we get, we get that, that group of grumblers that we got the last time we did something after that episode, remember? I don't want to hear about comic books on my movie podcast. Well, we can't help it because we do love comics as yeah. well. It kind of overlaps. I'm Years ago, yeah, used to yeah. be comic book fans and movie fans and video game fans right. were all in these separate camps. But there's such intermingling right. of them now that you can't get away from it. The problem with... The stories right now is, and this is something that you and I have talked about privately, get the impression that both of the major universes don't want us as customers anymore. Right. One book that I absolutely, positively adored, it's an independent book, Mm -hmm. and sadly it looks like the writer and artist are not going to be collaborating anymore so that the the series is gone, is called Phonogram. You can still get the two trades through Image Comics. The first trade is called Rue Britannia, Mm -hmm. and the second one is called The Singles Club. It's set in England, Mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of knowledge of Britpop, that early 90s guitar-based pop music yeah. that Blur and Oasis and them used to do. I got that, since I was a fan of Britpop, I understand a lot of it, but even if you don't, there's a big glossary in the back in each of the books okay. to explain to you what all the references are. I gotcha. But it takes place in a world where there's a sub, I don't know if you want to call it profession or race or whatever, of humans called phonomancers mm-hmm. who are able to work magic through music. By using their connections to certain songs, they're able to change realities. And it makes sense. A beautiful, beautiful, beautifully drawn, wonderful. It was one of these books. I picked it up because it just sounded interesting. I started reading the first one, and to not put it down until, until I finished, finished the whole it. story. Okay. It is so great. Mm-hmm. That is probably my favorite thing that I've read as a comic in the last two or three years. Oh, okay, cool. A lot of stuff in the big three. I'm not all that enthused about these days. Yeah, I'm kind of enthused about this Hawkeye and Mockingbird series. Yeah, I want to get that. Because yeah, I like the miniseries. The same team that did the mini 
series is doing the ongoing. Mm. And I really like the miniseries. And I'm going to get it because I always felt it was a mistake for them to kill Mockingbird in the first yeah. place. Usually I don't bother with it. Okay, they're bringing her back for sale. But I want to get it because, yeah, it was a big mistake to kill her off in the first damn place. I had no idea why that was done. And I'm just glad to see that they right. brought them back because they're a great couple. Mm-hmm. And I'm also giving Secret Avengers, or as I like to call it, the Defenders, a try. I see they're going, okay, let's put, they put an Avengers team together composed of the Beast, the Valkyrie, and Moon Knight. Yeah. Can we be any more obvious this That's is what the Defenders yeah. wants to do? That's the Defenders. It's not the Avengers. That's what it is. I mean, Although, it, it worries me that it's another one of these preemptive, proactive teams that stop problems before the problems get started. That kind of worries me, because usually those teams don't work out too well. Well, yeah. Isn't that what Forceworks was supposed yes, to be? Yes, it was. And eventually, that kind of... Although Force Wars had a pretty good run, it lasted about like 100 issues. No, no, actually, no. West Coast Avengers lasted 104 issues, then became Force Works with a new number one. Right, then became Force Works. Oh, okay. Lasted, I think, about 24, 25 issues. Because that okay. was at the very tail end. That was when the comic industry collapsed. Yeah. There was a whole bunch of cut that had been coming out just as the cult, the industry collapsed. Because I had that last issue of Avengers West Coast. And mm-hmm. one of the which best... Is, which sound, I've never read it. I've heard it's really badly written. Cause it's I don't think so. It's just the Avengers standing around talking about why this is not working. Mm-hmm. And it ends with Tony Stark quitting right. and Spider-Woman and a bunch of other people. And then that leads into... Force works. I thought it was pretty well yeah. written. I don't know. But I have to admit, I sort of like the first storyline, the, the thing with the scatter, the alien insect colony mm-hmm. that was coming to Earth. But that artwork was painful to look at. Yeah, that was the one, yeah. Remember that awful U.S. agent costume that they gave him? None of them were, were, were The one, good. it looked like he was going the motorcycle helmet? Yes. Yeah. Not the Judge Dredd-esque The one. Judge Dredd. That was designed yeah. by Joe Ordway, which I actually kind of sort of liked. I'm talking about the one which looked like he was going out for a ski team with the full cowl. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was just awful. No, they, were it was all an pretty, open, yeah. they were all pretty awful. Okay, so we're finished with this part? Yeah, we're finished with this part. That was your pull list. Okay, so And Derek doesn't have a pull list. So, so I don't have one, so sue me. Okay, before we get into the Marsh Brothers, there's a couple of bits of business that we need to take care of. Some of them is fun, some of them is not so fun. So let me get the fun one out of the way first. I just want to throw this in real quick and get your impressions about it. What do you think about this shit I've been hearing? Jonah Hex is only 65, 70 minutes? 72 minutes, not counting opening and closing credits. Oh, I'm not going to go see it. I'm not going to pay my money for something that's barely an hour. That is what ultimately, because my birthday is this Tuesday. Planning on going. Is this Tuesday? Yes, yeah, this Tuesday. Oh, wow. I was planning on going. You taking the day off? Are you going to work? I'm going to work. Oh, okay. But I was planning on going to see Jonah Hex okay. this weekend. But when our good friend James Dye, who is on our message board mm-hmm. and our Facebook group, both of which you can join, told us it was 72 minutes, not counting the opening and closing credits of with that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to pay matinee prices for something that's barely, at least give me 90 minutes, yeah. man. It's bad enough. That this movie is not Jonah Hex. Uh-huh. It's funny how Jimmy Palmiotti... I understand why Palmiotti is doing this. This is a book that has probably been teetering on the edge of cancellation for a while. Now it's got a movie out, so of course he's banging the drum saying, Oh, you gotta go see it. It's gonna be great. It's gonna well, be great. Well, you know what I heard with people, they're already right. calling it. What? Wild Wild Hex. 
Bob <laughs> or I like Chris Johnson. Our good friend Chris Johnson referred to it as a fistful of Gatling gun-mounted horses. Well, I was planning on go seeing it strictly for the cheesy, campy value. But once I heard it was a 70... No, I'm sorry. Not every movie has to be an over-bloated two-plus-hour epic. Yeah. And I like being able to go see a movie and not devote half my day to yeah. seeing a movie. But I'm sorry. At least give me 90 yeah. minutes. This is not the first time because James had said this is the first time he'd heard of something this short since like the 50s, the days of the B-movies. I pointed out that the Dwayne the Rock Johnson version of Walking Tall is 72 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Not counting opening and closing credit. Red Eye, which is a film that I really, really, really enjoyed with Rachel McAdams and Cillian Murphy. Oh, yeah. Wes Craven. With Wes Craven. Yeah, Wes Craven. Direct. Is 78 minutes, and that's counting credits. Jeez. So, this is not the first time somebody's tried to sneak in something ultra, ultra short. The Passage of 57, Wesley Snipes, yeah. is barely, I think that's like 72 minutes also. Mm-hmm. When I would see that in the movie theater, I said, damn, this is awfully short. What surprises me is that this is not something that they're putting out during one of the fallow periods. This is a major release. Exactly. Well, you would expect them to slip something like that in under the radar during the slow months well, that yeah. we discussed, like February. Walking tall was released in February. Yeah, or September, like right. after the summer. No, they've been hyping the hell out of this movie. But I'm going to wait for it to come on DVD or whatever, and I'll see I don't see even know if then. I want... Because the thing is, I know it's going to be painful for me to watch. It's going to be something that's going to get me so angry. But it'll be less painful if yeah. i got to pay full price or even matinee prices for it. It'll be a lot less painful. Yeah. So far, I worry that this might be another summer of math for me. Because I've been in the theater exactly once since the summer started, and that was for... Iron Man 2. I've been in the movies twice so far. I've been in the movies for The Losers mm-hmm. and Iron Man. Well, Losers doesn't count as a summer release. Yeah, that's true, the tail too. End of the summer release. That's true, too. So Iron Man 2 is the only thing that we've but seen. But yeah, I, Iron Man 2, I saw Get Me to the Greek, which, oh my God. Which you was... actually called me up and said, don't go and so, see this. Not even with Kristen Bell, it's not worth yeah. it. Get Me to the Greek was like, oh, oh my God. But the only reason I went to see that is mm-hmm. because me and Patricia had went to see... Matter of fact, we were arguing while we were going to the movie theater because right. I wanted to see A-Team and right. she wanted to see the Karate Kid. Turned out we couldn't see either yeah. one of them and we didn't want to drive all that way and mm-hmm. not go see a movie because we went on Linda Boulevard. So we said, okay, what's playing now? Get me to the Greek. And Patricia had actually watched Forgetting Sarah right. Marshall. So we went to see it and neither one of us were. That was hard. Yeah, I'm looking at the Atlas Park Stadium, which is the nearest theater to me. Right. Absolutely nothing I'm interested in. Yeah. Uh, Toy Story 3, The Karate Kid, Jonah Hex. Well, Toy Story 3, I can wait for that yeah. for DVD. Looking at the Lowe's Village 7, which is the place I told you about in, the, in Greenwich Village that has the $6 before right. 12 noon. They are just showing Sex in the City, Iron Man 2, Get, Get Him to the Greek, and Ravon. Film about a class, because they do a lot of indie Bollywood films over oh. at, at that was seven for some reason. Okay. Or I can go see the Grease sing-along, but that's not till July 8th. Oh, well. Yeah, I'm like you. I was interested yeah. in seeing Jonah Hex, but no, I'm not paying but my money now, to, not for a 72 I'm, I'm not movie. willing to pay $9, which is matinee prices, for a film that rapes that you didn't, in the ass. You know, that you really didn't want to see in the first place. You know? Yeah. Okay. I was really enthusiastic about this film. Up until I saw that trailer. That god-awful trailer where... Yeah, it's not god-awful, but it's not Jonah Hex. I looked at it and I said, okay, well, that's not the Jonah Hex. It's a Jonah Hex. Yeah, there's one moment which is just lifted from the Joe Lansdale miniseries. The, what happened to your face? Yeah. I got myself shaming what happened to you. And as a matter of fact, there's one theory that I've heard that the reason why the movie is so short is because it was originally 90 minutes, but the decision was made, and it was an R movie. 
Yeah. To cut out everything and make well, it... Well, they can't sell Jonah Hex toys for an R movie now. Right. And, and, and they do have Jonah Hex toys out there. And make it a PG-13 movie. Mm-hmm. So that was the excise material, the actual really yeah. violent, grisly stuff. I don't know if it's that true or not, but that's the rumor I heard. But, I mean, the other thing is, of course, and I think that this is going to backfire them tremendously, the way they are emphasizing Megan freaking Fox's... Oh, yeah. Especially Flavor. after she opened her yap... Flavor at, of the month. At the wrong... Time. Up. Yeah, you kind of wait until you have a career yeah. before you start, you know, bad mouthing the guys that are going to presumably hire you to make a career. And, and just a word of advice, dumbheading Megan, comparing somebody to Hitler just because he yells at you, not a good idea. Well, that's what people do nowadays. Yeah. They compare Obama to Hitler. They compare everybody. But people go overboard anyway. This thing that people talk about, oh, yeah, well, they raped my childhood. By no, they did not rape your childhood. They made a stupid movie. That's mm-hmm. what they did. People stop saying that and getting all worked up over this nonsense. I don't know why. That's just a phrase that set my teeth on it. Mm-hmm. It makes my ass clench when I hear people say, oh, they, they raped my childhood. Yeah. Well, what kind of childhood did you have if somebody can make a movie and that rapes your childhood? Grow up already. Moving right along, (laughs) we just got a couple of things that we just like to address very quickly, and then we're going to go right into the meat and potatoes of the episode. One thing that Tom and I would like to talk about is the guest hosting procedure that we have. Now, first of all, let me say right off the bat, because see, I got to handle this, because I don't mind being the bad guy. Tom's a good cop, and I got to be the bad cop, but I don't mind, because quite frankly, (laughs) you guys don't know where I live. (laughs) But anyway, here we go. First of all, I want to say that this is not directed toward anybody in specific, okay? So please do not email me or email Tom, talk about, oh, I know you guys are talking about me. No, this is not directed at one person. This is just a general overview that we want to give you because there is some confusion that is coming about as part of the guest hosting thing, and we just like to explain to you how it works. First of all, both Tom and I want to thank everybody who has guest hosted so far. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, we've never had a bad guest host no, yet. We We've been very lucky. No. Everybody that's been a guest host has clicked with us, and they've proven to be. And to be very honest with you guys, me and Tom were really kind of nervous about the guest hosting thing. Oh, God, yeah. Because me and Tom have our rapport. We have our rhythm down. Yeah. More importantly, that's something that everybody who likes to show sights is the fact that it sounds like just hanging out with the two of us. Right, and we really didn't know how somebody else was going to come in, how that was going to affect the back and forth that we've already established, the flow of it, how we were going to keep the conversation moving. But, happily enough, we have not had a problem with that at all. As a matter of fact, we can't get our guest host to shut up once they start right. talking, which is a good thing. We enjoy these episodes, and there's a lot more coming. Matter of fact, I tell you, we could probably do the rest of the summer with just guest hosts. I think we agreed that July we're just doing nothing but guest host tapings. That's how many people that we have. We got Bailey Sant. In fact, I'm going to be recording with him next week. We're doing a July 4th episode of Views in the Long Box. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably finalize date for him to talk about the JLA with us. Right. We've got Shag Matthews coming up to do the, the third part of the Doctor Who show. Mm-hmm. You didn't even know there was a third part, did you? Well, uh-huh. now you know. We've got Eric Frome. we got all these other people coming yeah. in. So we just decided that David Ellis. Oh, we got all these people coming in. But here's the thing now. This is where the confusion comes in. People will email us and they will say, Derek and Tom, I love your guest host shows and I would like to come on your show and be a guest host. Right. Then they proceed to go on various message boards. Right. And, and announce. Facebook. And, 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 and Facebook and LiveJournal and announce. 
guess what? I'm going to be a guest host on Better in the Dark. No. Unless and until you get an email from either myself or Tom or both of us mm-hmm. with a date. It's not that simple as you just sending us an email and saying, I want to be on and I'm available this Friday. Right. And I'm going to explain to you exactly why. Tom and I set up these guest hosting things in advance. We will have a date, a Friday, and we do two or three of them in one day. We used to do two because we know that that those tend to run long. Right. And we will usually say, this is your block. Your block is from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock. Your block is from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Be available on Skype at that time. Right. See, me and Tom are available on Friday. We're fortunate enough that we got it like that, that we have Fridays off Mm -hmm. to do that. Other people, they have to wait until they have a day off because they're usually working. So that's what we do. We have to schedule this thing so that these people are available. We're willing to meet you halfway, but you have to meet us halfway. If it came down to it, if we really needed you and we'd be able to record on a Saturday, but we would have to make arrangements. You can't just say, okay, I want to be here on this time. Me and Tom specifically set aside Fridays for this, and we work with other people. The guest hosting that we're doing next month, that's been set up two or three months before in advance. I'll tell you exactly when we sent out our mass email. Because generally what we'll do is when we know we have a bunch of people we're going to guest host with, I send out a mass email saying, please tell me what your availability is. These were back in May. Yeah. I started contacting people back in May. Okay, so Thomas, tell you that we started contacting people in May in regards to July. Right. And also, let me say this. There was one disgruntled person who sent me an email. I'm not going to mention this email. So, well, I guess you don't want me because you don't answer. You don't tell me when I'm going to be on. Me and Tom haven't turned down anybody today. No. But it's just that we have a schedule for these things. And then when somebody who we have scheduled for a certain date reads on live journal or on the message board that I'm going to be guest hosting on Better in the Dark next week, then we get that person emailing us and wait a minute, you told me I was going to be Mm -hmm. on. That having been said, just let me say that unless you get an email from myself or Tom specifically saying you're going to be on on this and this date, we would ask that you refrain from saying that you're going to be on you can tell your mother and your sister yeah. and your wife and your girlfriend, but please don't go around just telling everybody and their brother that you're going to be on. Okay? That's all we ask. Also, if I may say a couple other things. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, understand that when you send either myself or Derek or both of us an email saying, I'm eligible about blank, are you going to do it better in the dark? When I get such an email, I don't answer you until I've talked with Derek. Because I don't do anything on this show without Derek's understanding the, that I'm going through with something and our agreement. That and we're I do. don't do anything without contacting Tom. So tell. please do not get all freaked out and start going around and posting all over going, did you get my message? Why haven't I been contacted? What's going on? Also, if you want to be a guest host, a little word of advice. It's a good idea to have an idea. Donovan is a prime example. Donovan had an idea. I want to hear you talk about the Die Hard films. He came to us with it, and we said, okay, why don't you come on and be with us on that show? Right. The best way is to come with an idea, and if it's an idea... Now, we have the right to say, no, we don't want to cover that. And there are very reasons why we might not. It might be too similar to something that's been covered by another podcast, and we want to give some right. distance. Or it might be something too similar to something we just covered. 
today, the only two reasons that we haven't done certain shows is because just throwing out a name. Okay, well, Hollywood Saloon just did an episode yeah. about that, so we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, well, we covered this five episodes back. We need to give it some breathing room. Exactly. Those are the only two reasons why to date that we haven't done stuff like that. But yeah. outside of that... So please, be patient, not panic, and also... If you come with us with an idea, we will consider it. We have the right to say no, but we will consider it. I get back to people pretty quick, but I get anywhere on the average between 60 to 100 emails a day, folks, because I got a lot of pots on, on the store. Right. So, but there is ways of getting in touch with us, which mm-hmm. Tom tells you at the end of every episode. Right. If you go to the Better in the Dark Central, our emails are there. There's a whole lot of... BITDSite.com, hosted, of course, by the maestro of the internet, Kelly Logue. Every possible way you can contact us is there in easily digestible form. But like Tom said, please just be patient. Trust me. I love having guest hosts on because you guys get to do the work and I get to shut up for a while. You get to entertain us. <laughs> yeah. We spend all this time entertaining you. It's not often we get entertained in return. Exactly. And also, like in the case of Dess's show, this is funny because I was just thinking about this the other day, when we were talking about Nightbreed and he made that revelation about how the poster to Nightbreed was the exact same poster as the poster to Bad Dream. Oh, yeah, yeah. Never yeah. knew that floored me totally. Never even made the correlation until he brought it up. So we get educated and entertained as well. Exactly. Moving right along. The next thing that we want to talk about is something that was just brought to our attention the other day, and me and Tom talked about it before we started recording this episode, and it's the situation with the previous episodes of Better in the Dark, Mm -hmm. which is about... There were 60 episodes. There were 60 episodes that were posted on Lipson. Lipson, yes. Lipson.com, which is where our past episodes were stored. Here's the situation. Those past episodes were supposed to be ported over and brought to Earth2.net uh-huh. and be made available there for various personal reasons. Sorry, and 62 episodes. Okay. Various personal reasons. That's frankly none of your business and really none of ours. The webmaster of Earth2.net is not able to post the past episodes at this time. However, Tom and I are working on an alternate solution so that those episodes will be made available to you. I say that to say this, as my Aunt Lottie would say. Please do not email Tom and say, well, I'm looking for episode 43, or I'm looking for this, and I can't or find Kelly. it. Uh, yeah, or Kelly. I can't find the episode. Where can I find that? These past episodes will not be made available for a while. And I won't be honest with you. Tom would want to put them up right away. However, I told him this morning, and he can sit right here, he'll verify. I said, Tom, it's the summertime. I don't want you working there. I don't want you sitting in your house all day long editing, and then you got to upload these episodes to this. Wait until it's wintertime mm-hmm. when you're not going out anyway. As much as I know you guys want to listen to the past episodes, Lipson is going to be going off when? By the time you hear this, they'll have deleted all the file uh, server. Well, maybe what we can do is that we can put something up on the message boards yeah. and tell people while they still have I'm the sure opportunity. Kelly will put something, yeah. Yeah, if you guys want to go. And you still got time to download the episode. Mm-hmm. If they could, if they have it. Or you can even contact me because I have all the episodes stored mm-hmm. on my external hard drive and I'd be more than happy to shoot you a copy by email. So say you email me and you say, oh, Derek, you guys mentioned episode 41 on Can You Send Me 41? Yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah. 
I don't have a problem we with that. We will get this. We, we already have a plan of attack on this, and yeah. we'll get to it, but it might not be right away. There might be a break. Yeah. Just be patient, guys. And that's all i got to say. On Although I will also say, the fact that you guys have this enthusiasm for the show, that you want to keep going back and delve into the arcana, gladdens us. Oh, yeah, That's one yeah. of the things that keeps us going. Oh, trust me, I don't want to hold anybody back from listening to the past episodes. I want them to be amazing. Well, maybe not live. that episode. But you got to give us a chance to work yeah. the logistics out. we got a lot of things in the works as far as Better in the Dark is concerned. We're constantly working all the time to make it a better podcast and justify your faith in us and what we've been doing. Are we at last ready to get to what yes, this episode so. is supposed this has to be been about? A very long road. And we haven't even talked about the Marx Brothers yet. <laughs> yes. Yes, the Marx Brothers. A little bit of a biography, I guess, first. The Marx Brothers were the sons of a German mother, originally named Mean Schoenberg. And the family was already kind of really into show business at the time. That's what I was about that. Weren't yeah. their parents in Voidville? Their uncle, Abraham Islander, was a vaudeville comedian. Their grandfather was a part-time ventriloquist. They were raised in New York. She married Simon Sam Marks. He was French. They lived on 82nd Street, East 32nd Street here in New York. This is something I didn't know. The first child died in childbirth. The brothers were helped by their uncle, Al Sheen, to get into show business. Chico, who played the piano in pubs also, Mm -hmm. to earn money. Well, they were all yeah. musicians. They, they were, were yeah, all, in fact, they originally you know, they started out com- as a musical act. They, they were all called com- yes. musicians. Yeah. They were originally called, variably, the Four Nightingales or the Six Mascots, initially. Mm. The first performance in the Marx Brothers style, as is now known, was in Fun in High School in 1912. This is where the characters first started coming into being. Okay. Supposedly, the distinctive names of the five Marx Brothers were given to them at a card game. During the 20s, having nicknames ending in O was like the all the rage. It was a big fad. Didn't have much to do back in the 20s, did they? No, they did not. <laughs> so It was prohibition, damn it. <laughs> Julius was called Groucho due to, depending upon which story you hear, because he was a little bit of a misanthrope, or because he kept carrying a special bag that a lot of pavilions carried called a grouch bag. Adolf, later changed his name to Arthur for obvious reasons, for, yeah. <laughs> was called Harpo because, of course, of his knowledge of the harp. Right. Chico, because people can't pronounce it Chico, but it's actually supposed to be pronounced Chico, of course, Chico. because supposedly he had this legendary, amazing talent for just picking up women. There are stories of him pulling up to a stoplight next to a woman in the next car who was attractive, mm-hmm. and within the space of this stoplight, convincing her to go into a motel with him. I believe you. And I had a friend like that. Yeah. We all hated him. <laughs> we did. I mean, this guy, he would actually bet you. He said, I bet you $20 I can go over yeah. there and talk to that woman. And, and he would do it. He'd go over there. I had no idea. Some guys just had that knack, though. Yeah. Gummo was named because of his fondness for gum-soled shoes. Gum-soled shoes. I, okay, that I've heard. For life of me, I can't remember why Zeppo was named Zeppo. Zeppelins. Okay, Zeppelin. Okay, because he liked, I guess. Okay. Yeah, Zeppelin. Originally, the four March Brothers were Gummo, Groucho, Harpo, and Chico. But when they started entering film, after they went moved from vaudeville to the Broadway stage with the Coconuts, mm-hmm. Gummo decided to retire and become a talent agent 
and managed the brothers, and Zeppo took his place. Okay. The first two films that they did, Coconuts and Animal Crackers, were literally just transcriptions of their Broadway stage shows. Right. Which is very obvious if you guys have seen the movies. Then you know what we talk about because Coconuts was the first one I ever saw, yeah. and that's where I fell in love with and Boss it's Brothers. Very, very stagey. Yeah, and when you look at it, the actors are standing, and it's obviously painted background. Yeah, some of the backgrounds are obviously it, painted. It's really startling. There are a couple of outdoor sequences, particularly the the auction sequence, like when they do the, the Bayou Duck. Yeah, they, when he has the bat yeah. with Grotto and say, and the Bayou Duck is going here. Fire Duck, fire no chicken, fire no cow. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh man, that's just. <laughs> But you can see it's a yeah. painted background. That this but it's like they switched in the auction sequence is shot outdoors, and it's really startlingly different. Yeah, exactly. And after that, they did three more films with Paramount Pictures. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite of all their films, Monkey Business. Okay. Which really took advantage of the fact that it was not stage-bound because it was shot on board a ship and mm-hmm. it's all sorts of wackiness. Horse Feathers, which is not one of my favorites. That's the college one. I like that one. That's the one with the famous thing. Swordfish. What's the password? Swordfish. Well, the thing about both Horse Feathers and the one that follows Duck Soup was that they were directed by Leo McCrory, who was a veteran of the Max Senate Studios. I I thought originally that they had no control put on them in these last two films. Quite the opposite. He prevented the Marx Brothers from doing certain things. Like, in the earlier films, Harpo always had a scene where he played the harp. Chick always had a scene where he played the piano. piano. Not so in Duck Soup. And they would get into these heated fights, the director and the brothers, over, no, you can't have that. You're killing the comedy. The Morris Brothers was was much better when you just let them go. Mm -hmm. Of course, this meant that you got a movie with no story in it and no plot at all. It was just the Morris Brothers being turned loose on some institution like an opera or a circus or high society and just going nuts. As their movies went on, progressively more and more, I think that the studio or the director, as you put it, wanted to add more plot and have more story, which actually stifled the Marx Brothers' creativity. Well, and the funny thing is, everybody praises Duck Soup as one of the true classics, and yet it was their biggest flop. I don't know. It's a very mean-spirited film, I And I'm like you. I watch Duck Soup. I like Duck Soup, but it's one of those movies, I can't understand why everybody considers it such a classic, and I feel it's because it's so plot-heavy. You should probably mention a person who pretty much should call the fifth Marx Brothers. Margaret Dumont. Margaret Dumont, yeah. Legend claims did not understand she was in comedies. No, yeah, I've heard that. She did not know. Best straight woman in movie history. Oh my god, yes. The thing that I find amazing... Groucho is always scamming on her. Yeah. But you always get the feeling in the first four of the Paramount films that Mm -hmm. he may be scamming on her, but it's more because, and I think my friend Joe Maisel put it best, that he's kind of intimidated, he's kind of scared by her. Yeah, because she was this big, she looks about six yeah. feet tall, and, and, and Groucho is not a tall yeah. guy, and since he always stood or walked stooped over, yeah. he looks like a little kid standing next that to her. his insults towards her were more of a defense mechanism than anything else. He actually did have genuine affection for her. And she always played these rich, clueless mm-hmm. dowagers. Exactly. For some reason, always found the Groucho character infinitely Irresist- fascinating irresistible. and irresistible. Yeah, <laughs> But even in Duck Soup, even his quips seem really mean towards her. There's a definite sense of just sheer pettiness and meanness in that film that I don't care for. But it almost killed their career. Because Duck Soup was unpopular, they lost their contract with Paramount. They had considered retirement for a while. But then... Chico got into a card game with one Irving Thalberg at MGM. 
Irving Thalberg was this very young man. He was only in his 30s when he died of double pneumonia. Was a genius and was a yeah. genuinely likable person by mm-hmm. all accounts. Thalberg really admired the Marx Brothers comedy mm-hmm. and told the three of them, you let me take care of this, you put me in the driver's seat, I will make you stars again. And he was good on his word. Mm-hmm. It did require them giving up some stuff. The two films that were made under Thalberg, A Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races, which are very, very, very good. Yeah, they are. They are plot-heavy. At this point, by the way, Zeppo had decided to retire, join Gummo. And join Gummo as being, yeah. As being the, the brother's manager. Yeah. There was a space of about apparently a cup of coffee where it almost was going to be the two Marx brothers. Because Groucho had almost, to them, about going away as well. It's interesting that you mentioned that this whole Thalberg connection came about mm-hmm. as his playing cards with mm-hmm. Chico. Because apparently he was as good at gambling yeah. as he was with women. And a lot of times he would go into a card game with a buck eighty-five in his pocket and come out with everybody's money. These two films were more plot-heavy. Yeah. They both featured as the leading man, the character that Zeppo used yeah, to Zeppo play. Yeah, Zeppo used to play. And actually a pretty decent actor by the name of Alan Jones. There were musical numbers, big, elaborate MGM-style, oh, yeah, yeah. Busby Berkeley-esque, big, grand things. Mm-hmm. And also, Thalberg came up with this very interesting thing. He knew that the brothers were from Vaudeville, were very comfortable on stage. So he created these road shows. With key comedy scenes. Mm-hmm. They would tour the country and do these scenes in front of a live audience, and the writers would be sitting in the audience. In the audience, making right. Notes making notes as to what, what laughs. Yeah, what right. They, as to what the, jokes worked and what didn't work. Yeah. One of the most famous bits in Night of the Opera almost did not make it into the thing. It was the stateroom scene, which didn't work on stage. Mm-hmm. But Thalberg said, you got to trust me. Oh, on film. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. It's going to be hilarious on film. And the brothers respected this guy so much, they said, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. That's probably the most famous scene in mm-hmm. all of the Marsh Brothers, and the one everybody knows where they're in that little tiny state mm-hmm. room. And it seems like 90% of the ship eventually yep. ends up in that state room. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and the thing that amazed me, because I watched this again uh, a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. is that Harpo's asleep the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> well, Harpo as a character, even in the anarchistic mm-hmm. world yeah. that, of the Marsh Brothers, he seems to inhabit his own universe. Yeah. Incredibly well, enough. Each of the... Three brothers had their antecedents in old vaudeville styles. Mm-hmm. Chico was the dialect comedian. Harpo was the pantomime comedian. In fact, could have taken Harpo, dropped him down in the middle of the 1920s during the silent film era, and he would have probably been just at home. Oh, he would have been just at home, yeah. Groucho's came from the Dutch comedian style, down to even the grease paint. Yeah, uh, the grease paint uh, mustache and eyebrows, yeah. However, during the course of shooting of, I think it was Day at the Races, came an exchange that probably killed their career. Mm, what's that? Leo B. Mayer decided to come and visit the set. Oh, Lord. And he walks up to Groucho and goes, Groucho, how are you? How's the movie going? To which Groucho said, Listen, I don't have to talk to you. I answered to Mr. Thalberg. So when Erwin Thalberg died of double pneumonia later that year, Leo B. Mayer remembered that. Well, of course he did. And you can see... I would. You can see... The difference. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the Marx Brothers became B-movie comedians. The look of these films after the fact. Snatched their budget. <laughs> yeah, their budget went totally down. Mm-hmm. Everything is kind of cheap and nasty looking. Well, that was Mayor reminding yeah. them of their roots. Listen, yeah. you're Vaudevillians. That's all you are. <laughs> yeah. But they managed to suffer through, I think it's four of them. Still done through MGM. Room service, at the circus, go west, and the big store. 
I mean, they're brutal to watch. Oh, yeah, the big stores are actually painful to watch. There are some moments in all of them that are genuinely funny, but most of it is just... And it's doubly ugly to watch because you look at these brilliant people, and it's obvious that, particularly like every once in a while, they'll, you'll see a shot of Groucho who looks really, really unhappy. Yeah. Doing this sort of stuff. After that, they did one more film for RKO, I think. It was mm-hmm. an independent film. This was about five years later after The Big Store, which was called The Night of Casablanca. Oh, okay. Also very sad, because now they were doing an independent studio, B-movie. Right, which back in those days, unlike independent studios now, mm-hmm. which are highly regarded, that was considered bottom of the barrel, because of course, if you weren't backed by a major studio, mm-hmm. you were a major star. That was pretty much it, except for one more film, Love Happy. Mm-hmm. which was made in 1949, which is actually a vehicle for Harpo. But both Chico and Raucho appear in it in smaller capacities. Who actually, Harpo, I remember him. Of course, he had the memorable guest starring role on mm-hmm. I Love Lucy, where right. they reproduced the gag yeah. from one of the Marx Brothers from movie. From the duck soup, the, the mirror right. gag. Yeah, right. I can remember clearly him up to the 60s making guest starring appearances on various mm-hmm. comedy shows. Do you remember, I think it was on 60 Minutes, they did an interview with him and he didn't break character once. Yeah. They went to his house and he was showing off the ground, mm-hmm. but he never spoke a word. It was fascinating. Forgive me for, for making this comparison. It was almost like you got the impression that Arthur Marks treated the Harpo character as if he was a luchador. Yeah. That he did not want to break the illusion. Break the illusion. Of this happy clown that never spoke. Weird stuff. Weird, weird stuff. Chico kind of retired. Yeah. After the movies, but Groucho had a long Well, I heard that after he retired, he spent his time doing what he liked to do. Gambling, playing cards. Mm -hmm. Practicing the piano. Yeah. And playing cards. Yeah, Groucho. And of course, Groucho had Bet Your Your Life. Life. Which ran forever. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was always doing guest spots. I remember him showing yep. up on laughing. He was doing guest spots in movies as long as... And here's another specter of the psychedelic cinema, Skidoo. The Otto Preminger psychedelic comedy in which Carol Channing doses her gangster husband and his gunsoles with LSD. I think, in fact, the husband was played by Jackie Gleason. Was it was it Groucho Moss, as a matter of fact? It was a movie, and I heard that he died, so they got George Burns to do it, the one he did with Walter Matthau, The Sunshine Boys. Yeah, it might have been. I dimly remember reading someplace that was originally supposed to be Walter Matthau and Groucho mm-hmm. Marx, but he died, so they got George Burns to do it. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. The last film in which all three appear, but not together, mm-hmm. is The Story of Mankind. Which is that legendarily bad, bad, I think it was like Irwin Allen directed okay. historical epic, which is more like a, just a series of really dumb skits. Mm-hmm. So you have Harpo playing Isaac Newton, and playing the harp when the apple falls on his head. Okay. And you have Raucho playing Peter Minuet. Okay. It's just, it's a really, really... He was such a... To this day, every time I see him do it, it brings tears to my eyes. He plays Take Me Out to the Ball Game on the harp. Oh, the way he plays it, you can... And it's such a simple song. Take Me Out to the Ball... But the way he plays it on the harp, he elevates it to a higher level. That's the only way I can say it. There's only one other song that affects me like that. You ever heard Eric Clapton play Danny Boy? No. Oh, my God. It'll tear your heartstrings. What was that movie where that he had to play the harp and he didn't have a harp and he just takes an axe and just demolishes a piano? Day, and it's, it's day at the races. <laughs> he actually starts playing the piano, but he's playing with such enthusiasm that the piano shakes to pieces. And that's when he takes out the frame and, he and starts pulls playing it, apart it like a harp. And, yeah, and he takes the 
Then y'all starts playing like a heart. Oh my God. I don't know what it is. People have told me, for instance, most other comedians from that era, Laurel and Hardy. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I still don't understand why they're supposed to be so funny. It's a dumb fat man and a dumb skinny guy. Who else? I don't get that type of humor. The Moss Brothers I get, though. I get their type of humor. I get the... You don't get this kind of comedy in movies anymore, where you have these actors who play a set character. The roles may change in each movie, but the character stays firm. Right. They had different names, except for Mm -hmm. Chico. He's pretty much Chico in every movie. Groucho's always the con man. Right. Even though he'll be Horse Doctor, Otis Hackenbush. He has different names, but it's the same guy. This is what I'm saying, that... He may have different name in every movie, but yeah. it's the same guy. Chico is, is always the immigrant, even when he's in Italy, in the, in the, in the opera. Yeah, he's, the he's still immigrant, yeah. But it, you don't see that anymore. The only one that I think comes close, and I know that this is a group that you're not fond of, is the Broken Wizard troupe. Okay. Where you have these five guys, their names change, mm. but they're basically playing the same character the same character each film. Yeah. Or last great comedy team like this, maybe Wilder and Pryor. Where they basically played right. I got you now. Prior is the only one that I can really count is a movie that steps outside of what they did. Mm-hmm. With Silver Streak, which yeah. is more like a conventional action adventure with some comedy than a comedy movie. Silver Streak actually isn't a comedy. It's more like an attempt to do a lighter Hitchcock. There are other movies, sure, those are comedies, but not Silver Street. I don't regard it as a comedy. I consider it an action-adventure with comedic elements in it. Getting back to the Marx Brothers, we yeah. digress again. Their humor I get. I get the wordplay of Groucho Marx. I like trying to keep up with his wordplay. And supposedly it was something sl- that came naturally to him. Larry Gelbart tells a story about how... He went to have breakfast with him one day, and the waiter comes up to him and goes, what would you like? And Groucho goes, omelette! And as the waiter's walking away, he starts, he mutters under his breath, Christian soldier. <laughs> that, this was a man who was so in love with language, right. that he was constantly throwing out these quips. Well, you can tell it from the movies, the way that he's always talking, and he right. throws out these quips and these back and forth that he has, and him and Chico always have these dialogues, and Chico is the only right. person that ever manages to stymie him, if you know yeah. this, cleverly with what he said. Their brand of humor, I get. Laura Hardy, I don't get. Yeah. Never got that. Never understood why they were supposed to be so funny. I think it's also one of these, and this is something that I think is unique to a lot of these comedy teams from the 30s and 40s, they're not grounded in the modern day. You can understand Viaduct. You can understand the Tootsie Fritzie ice cream. You can understand one of the few really genuinely funny scenes in Go West where Chico and Harpo manage to strip Groucho entirely in the middle of the train station at the beginning of Go West. Mm -hmm. You can understand those things without understanding the world of the 20s. I think the biggest problems with modern comedy is that it dates the second it goes out. As much as we love Forgetting Sarah Marshall, is that film going to make any sense to somebody who's going to watch it ten years from now? No, it's not. It's got a short shelf life. Yeah. We're going to go, what's the joke about the CSI type? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Why is that supposed to be funny? I think the core of the movie is still going to stand up. Yeah. And I think it's going to last. If it lasts for any reason, it's going to be because of reasons I cited before when we were talking about it. It's one of the few romantic comedies that's told from the guy's point of view. Usually in these romantic comedies, they make the mistake of making whoever the boyfriend or girlfriend leaves that person for for somebody who's a total jerk. Now, in the movie, Aldous Snow is a jerk, Mm -hmm. but he's a likable jerk. Even Sarah Marshall's ex-boyfriend says right. that at one point. I should st- hate your guts, but you're so right. cool. But from what I understand, that kind of likability is gone in the next one, in 
get him to the Greek. Let me put it this way. And here comes another digression, folks. Get me to the Greek. Would you want to spend two hours with somebody who was constantly doing drugs and getting drunk and getting you into trouble and forcing you to have questionable sexual practices? No. Well, that's what this movie is like. It's like you're locked in a room with a person who does exactly that for two hours. There's some funny bits in the movie. Most of them come from Sean Combs, who halfway through the movie, I said to my wife, that's who the movie should have been about. Mm -hmm. It should have been about the relationship between him and the Jonah Hill character, him working for this megalomaniac record producer. And and they have a scene at the beginning where Sean Puffy Combs, as Sergio, is having this meeting with his staff. And I kind of got this distinct feeling that's actually how Sean Combs runs his meetings. That's not just a movie thing. But otherwise than that, the character is nowhere near as likable as he was in Forget right. Sarah Marshall. He's an obnoxious jerk, but in this one, he's not a likable obnoxious right. jerk. Because I've known obnoxious jerks in real life, and I can put up with them because they were likable. Right. This guy isn't likable. And Jonah Hill, you say to yourself, why does he keep letting this guy does this to him? Okay, I get it that he worships this guy, he thinks he's a musical genius, but at some point or another, you got to have the backbone to say, whoa, hold up, guy, we have a job to do. Because that's what the whole movie is about, of course, him getting this guy right. to the Greek theater for this 10th anniversary concert, and Aldous does everything he can to screw it up by taking him to visit his father in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. It's got a good cast in the movie. It's got Elizabeth Moss from the West Wing who played the president's daughter who's on Mad Men now. Mm-hmm. She's good. Cole Meany, well, I know him from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but he's been in other things like right. Connie. He's been in a lot of American movies. He's good. Sean Puffy Combs. I think people were in this movie just to do cameos. Yeah. Johnny Depp does a cameo. Pink does right. a cameo. But other than that, it's... And as we've mentioned earlier, Kristen Bell does a cameo as a blind surgeon. Yeah, but it's such a short cameo, it's mm-hmm. hardly worth calling it a cameo. And I'm pretty sure she did it just as a favor to the director of this movie, who also directed Forgetting Sarah Marshall. But the tone and style of this movie is so different from that other one. Maybe that's because the screenplay wasn't written by the guy who wrote the yeah. screenplay for it. Me, that's what I think it is. The problem is all there. The script. Because the same guy who wrote the script for Forgetting Sarah Moore, he didn't write this one. He was one of the producers, and that was it. But, so I say that to yeah. say this, that's a style of comedy that's going to be dated. It's not going to be funny in five years. It's hell. To me, it's not funny now. It's going to be dated in a few right, years. Exactly. Whereas the Marx Brothers, it's a timeless type of comedy. It's not really locked into one specific yeah. time period. Although I will say that once you hit those last groupings, Mm-hmm. of MGM films when Louis B. Mayer is punishing the brothers over and over again for mm-hmm. that one slight. You get to see dated humor finally. You get to see jokes about Dewey, the hero of Manila, and stuff like that. The only two I don't own are Room Service and At the Circus. And But watching those later ones is very sad and very frustrating to me. The big story features that horrible final chase on the roller skates throughout. Oh, the, yeah. With yeah. the obvious stand-ins mm-hmm. for Harpo and Groucho and Chico. It's, it's just really bad. Okay, so where would you recommend people start? With the first one, Coconuts, of course. See, I think that Coconuts is so far removed. I mean, you like, actually don't have to watch them in any type of order, really. Yeah, but people, see me, I'm like that. I'm yeah. always the person that, okay, start with their first yeah. one that they... I would start people with Night at the Opera because it's the most coherent Okay, I would go with that. That's a definite plot. Okay, Kitty Carlisle is not the most interesting female lead in hit film history. And you know something? It was not until I saw that movie that I finally realized Kitty Carlisle was an actress. I used to watch her on To Tell the Truth, Mm -hmm. and I used to say, 
the hell does this bitch do? Because I had never seen her in anywhere. Yeah. I just saw her on to tell. I said, well, is that her job? Is that all? until I saw her in these older right. movies and I realized that she was something of an actress back in the 40s yeah. and 50s. And, I think the operative yeah. word is something of yeah. an actress. <laughs> it goes to Maureen O'Sullivan, who is an actress. Yeah, they, we should probably talk a little bit about Day at the Races, which I don't think is as successful as Night at the Opera, but also features But one thing new, I want to say before we start yeah. talking about Zeppo, a lot of people, and we were talking about this before yeah. we went on, oh, well, Zeppo, he was lame. He didn't do mm-hmm. anything. He wasn't funny. To me, Zeppo was a very important part of the And probably Brothers. had the hardest role of all four of them. Right. I made the correlation early on. For those mm-hmm. of you who are comic book fans, you're going to know what I'm talking about. The DC Marvel crossover a few yeah. years back where they had a character called Access who would go back and forth between right. the two universes. Well, that's who Zeppo is. He's right. Access. He allows us to see the Marx Brothers do it because he's the normal guy. Right. And because he can pass for normal, he can interact with the rest of the cast in a movie that the way that the Marx mm-hmm. Brothers, who are pretty much in their own anarchistic universe, right. can't interact. The only way they can react with the other characters interact with them is in that anarchistic manner. Not Zeppo. He's the only one that can deal with normal people on a normal level right. and still step back into that Which great... Which is why he yeah. frequently was the lead in those Paramount yeah. films. So he wasn't useless Heck, or... he was the one who was in the final fight scene in Monkey Business. In Monkey Business, yeah. He's the one that beats the bad guys. Yeah. He's the only one who can do that. Harpo can't do it. Because anytime Harpo or Chico, they got into a fight, it was done for comedic values. Yeah. This was a pretty straightforward fist fight. Zeppo's the only one that could do that. Because he was the only one that could pass for normal. Even though right. up here, he wasn't as normal as the rest of the people. He was as nuts as his brothers. Yeah. yeah. And as a matter of fact, I have read in several places that there were people that said plenty of times, Zeppo was actually the funniest one out of all of them. He just never had a chance to show it on film. Supposedly, he was the there funniest was one. a performance of Animal Crackers where, and it was the only time that Groucho got sick, mm-hmm. where Zeppo took over Groucho's role. Mm-hmm. And apparently did so well that Groucho made damn sure he didn't get sick. Yeah, oh, okay, okay. See, I would say start with Night of the Opera because, A, it's relatively short. It's only 90 minutes. Right. It, and it's got a plot for those people who right. need a plot. It actually out. has a plot. There's one musical number that really is, because this is the one weakness of those two, of the Thalberg MGM films, mm-hmm. is that sometimes the musical numbers just stop the film dead. Yeah, it did. That's the only Most thing. of the musical numbers in Night of the Opera aren't that bad except for Come See, Come Saw. The one over there on the ship, which just seems to go on forever. Well, I'll be honest with you. Whenever one of those musical numbers come on, I've mentioned innumerable times on this podcast, I have turned a classic movie. So mm-hmm. when the Marx Brothers come on, yeah, I watch it. That's my cue to go to the bathroom yeah. or to go get myself a sandwich mm-hmm. or to make a phone call. And that's what I do until it gets back to yeah. what I want to see. Well, I, the worst of them is in, and this is why I wanted to bring up Day of the Races, is of course... The barn sequence. Mm. I timed this this morning. Okay. It goes on for 11 minutes. Yeah. And it seems longer. Oh, God, yes. It is a scene that had been cut out of the original television prints for right. the longest time. Because in it, the three Marx Brothers and Alan Jones, who do feel like they have screwed everything up for Marino Sullivan, who is the female lead who runs the sanitarium, about to lose the sanitarium. They're about to lose everything. Otis... The Groucho character has been revealed to be a horse doctor and a fraud, <laughs> and they... Dr. Hackenbush. Right, Dr. Hackenbush. Hackenbush. Okay. Driftwood is, I think, might be horse feathers. Okay. I like Wagstaff or something. Professor Wagstaff. No, I know which one it must... Yeah, that's horse feathers. No, it's... Otis P. Driftwood is, is duck soup. It's duck soup. It's duck okay. Soup. Yes. So Hackenbush has been exposed as a horse doctor. They're looking to arrest him. They're looking to confiscate the horse... That Alan Jones and Stuffy, the Harpo character, and mm-hmm. Ravelli 
are planning on running in the horse race the next day. And they're dejected, and Marino Sullivan comes in with blankets, and first Alan Jones starts singing a song, telling her to cheer up, because tomorrow is another day. Which makes you just want to stuff a basketball in his mouth. He's not a bad mouth. singer, though. I, mean, I don't think he's a no, he's not, singer. You know, he's got that weird... People don't relate to that type of singing yeah. anymore. You know what it always reminds me of? Nelson Eddy and... By a waterfall, I'm calling you... The other thing that drives me up the wall about watching Alan Jones sing, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, he sings out of the left side of his mouth. I don't notice because I never paid okay. that much attention. What I tell you, whenever yeah. they start to sing it, I get up and go. So he sings this song to Marina Hara and you figure, okay, that's it, we're done, we've, we've gone through the... But no... Up pops Harpo with a little tin flute, mm-hmm. and he does a little jazz glissando and wanders off to the black side of town. Mm-hmm. Here's what got things cut. And here's a bunch of stereotyped black people, including one guy... Coons! In a, yeah, one guy in a bandana who I swear to God looks exactly like J.B. Fox. Jungle Bunnies! Yes, this starts a song called... Spear Chuckers! <laughs> <laughs> Gabriel, the man with the horn. Jigaboos! <laughs> which goes into another song, probably the most famous song in this sequence. All God's, monkeys! All God's <laughs> chillin', not children, all God's chillin' got wings. Not children? Not children. Chillin'. Chillin'. All you know, God's chillin' got rhythm. Because you know it's either chillin', yeah. it's either churin', or chillin'. <laughs> It just you know we're going to get emailed about Oh, God, this. it just goes on forever. I it like, ends with... I like porch monkeys. Yes. <laughs> it ends with the three Marx Brothers in an attempt to evade the sheriff, putting on blackface. Now, where I remember first watching the Marx Brothers movie, I watched them, first of all, on Channel 5 when they were shown here. And they would also be occasionally shown on PBS Channel right. 13. They would always cut their scenes out. I had no idea that scene was in the movie until I saw it on Turner Classic Movies. And this was yeah. years and years after the fact. They would always cut that scene out. Mm-hmm. Did you ever wonder what all the black people were that showed up at the very end when they do the reprise? Yeah, exactly. That's where they Which came from. I think, the most objectionable two couplets that these... They were played by a, a Bible choir group called the Crinoline Choir. At the end, of when everybody's winning and it's time for the grand huzzah at the end of the film, mm-hmm. the black people storm the things, waving cash, going, All God's chillin' got My money! Got money, yeah! All God's chillin' got dough! Now, if you haven't seen the scene with the barn, you sitting there, well, where did they come yeah. from? I also have to wonder if there was a scene where Groucho sings it gets cut, because he does a little snippet of a song that it's not in the print that I have. Mm. And this print is long. Day at the Races is the longest of the That's the longest film. movie they ever it's had. It's like one say. hour and 49 yeah, minutes. Yeah, that's the longest one they did. And yeah. he sings a little snippet of a song called Me and the Man in the Moon mm. to Margaret Dumont before proposing marriage. Featuring both the wonderful line, Yes, it's true, Emily, I am a horse doctor, but if you marry me, I promise you'll be the only horse I'll look at from now on. Mm-mm. I know one of these things where it's like, okay, it's kind of sweet, I guess, what he's saying, uh-huh. but not mu- by much. Not by much, no. Yes. It's not exactly designed to warm the cockles of a woman's heart. But one of the reasons why I love Margaret Of Dumont, course, that depends on where she keeps the cockles. Yes. <laughs> 
one of the reasons I love Margaret Dumont as an actress is that she sells it. Oh yeah, a large part of the success of the movie, the Mars Brothers movie that she was in, is due to her. She was the perfect straight well, there man. There was a number you know, of for Groucho. There were a number of people that they used again and again. Thelma Todd. One of the Thelma reasons Todd. why Monkey Business is my favorite of their films. I think that he found like almost a soulmate in Thelma Todd. Yeah, Groucho. yeah. When you saw Groucho and Thelma Todd together, he was a woman who was beautiful, was mm-hmm. gorgeous, and was able to give as good as she got. Yeah, it didn't hurt. She was hot as hell. And, and it wasn't yeah, for her she being was very murdered. funny. Oh, God, yes. Very funny. Even, even in Horse Feathers, and she's got a really thankless role in Horse Feathers. That scene on the boat? Yeah. Will you let little old baby go? You. But she's one of the few people that could keep up with Groucho, yeah. as you just said. One of the very the few scene people. where he first meets her in her stateroom on the ocean liner. And she's got and like go, the silk, yes, the like, silk panties on. I don't want to stay here. I want to sing. I want to dance. I want to hot cha cha cha. He pulls out the thing and starts strumming along and they do the little dance. And she starts doing the Charleston. Yeah. She says, I want a hot cha cha and a nani and a hey ho ho. And he's laying on the bed strumming the guitar. I have to wonder what would have happened if she had not been murdered. Yeah. Because I could see her in Day at the Races there is a character that you know was supposed to be a Thelma Todd character but she's played by this weird looking woman first off looks way too old to be a, a temptress mm-hmm. no she would have been like Jean Harlow yeah she was another blonde bombshell mm-hmm. but she had that quality that she was very natural with that kind of material and she wasn't afraid to just throw herself yeah. into it she wasn't afraid to make herself look ridiculous to sell a scene yeah. Thelma Todd was great another actor who the March was used again and again as somebody that Irving Thalberg introduces. Sig Ruma. He's the guy with the beard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Featuring, which of course, another one of my favorite lines from Day at the Races. And don't point that beard at me, it might go off. It might go off. They used him often. He was the main villain in Night of Casablanca, the last of the official Marks Brothers films. Oh, okay. Films. These people all were there to give Groucho somebody to throw darts at. Right. Give Chico somebody to confuse and give somebody for Harpo to, like, cut things off of. Or chase after. Because I used to love that thing he do. You see a girl and he get this... Absolutely, totally crazy look in his eye. And go take his arm. Honka, honka, honka. And start yeah. chasing him. <laughs> hey, you're supposed to wear the gown, not wear the nurse. Oh, it helps. <laughs> and you know what else I think that, that makes the brothers endure today? Is that each one of the, the characters are easy to imitate. Yeah. You just add a, you add a A to everything. And there you go. You've got... Harper, for the longest time, I considered him to be the closest thing that we had to a live-action cartoon. Yeah. There was one scene, what, what movie was that? Was the scene he's getting ready to play the harp and he's got an itch that he can't reach. And he reaches in and pulls off his own hand. Yeah. And sticks it down his back and then he puts it back. And you say, what did he just <laughs> do? And he was always pulling stuff out yeah. of his pockets. like whatever. Or that scene in, in uh, Night at the Opera where he's eating all the table contraments. Uh-huh. Or like in Horse Feathers where he can't burn a candle on both ends. And it, yeah, and he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out was. He pulls out a candle. Was, oh my god. The great great grandfather of Jerry from Parker Lewis. Yeah. Right down to the oversized coat. That was the funniest moment when he said, Oh no, you know you can't burn the candles at both ends. Reaches it and it's a candle that's yes. burning at both ends. <laughs> and even Groucho's speechless. Yeah, but you're right. Anybody that's seen Parker Lewis can't lose, they know who we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. You got it. It's like it's a great. You know, I gotta want okay. This just came to me as a little bit of blue. If they didn't have the Marx Brothers in mind when they designed the characters. And Parker Lewis? And Parker Lewis. Well, yeah, Parker Lewis was Groucho. Groucho. Mickey was Chico. And, um, Chico slash Zeppo. Because he was also he was with also the, the girls. Yeah. yeah, he was like the lady. But he man. was like the musical guy. Yeah. 
And Jerry was Harpo. It was Harpo, yeah. Perceptive, Tom. I, I know we keep you around here for something. <laughs> So you say start with the beginning. The only reason that, that I wouldn't say go to Coconuts is because Coconuts is really primitive. It's really primitive. It was made in 1929, so it's from that whole put down the camera and just sit right, stand just in put front the camera and just stand in front of it and just do your act, right? You know, for five minutes. Just and in fact, I think even uh, like Animal Crackers is a little bit more technically proficient. Animal Crackers is the one that most people usually start with, I yeah. think. Matter of fact, you know where I saw Animal Crackers at? I remember distinctly in the sixth grade, especially now, like during this time yeah. of year when it's warm, teachers have their conferences. Yeah. So they used to march us into the auditorium and have us watch a movie right. while the teachers did their thing. And they showed us Animal Crackers. For me, that, it was always Bowery Boys movies. Really? That they showed. Oh, I remember yeah. for a long time they did not show Animal Crackers. In fact, when they did decide to bring it back into circulation... Mm-hmm. It was shown on CBS on a Saturday night. Uh, that's when I first saw it. This was after I'd seen most of the other. For the longest time, the only the only uh, Marks Brothers movies that were in wide circulation were the three later Paramount films. Right. They Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, mm-hmm. and Duck Soup. I remember on Channel 5, for some reason, they would always show Horse Feathers, mm-hmm. Night at the Opera, A Day at the Races. And I think Channel 9 would show Room Service a lot. But then again, Channel 9 was at one time owned by Universal, which owned RKO. Yeah, that was where I saw Animal Crackers. That was where I first saw Fantastic Voyage. They just marched us into the auditorium and said, well, sit there and just watch this movie. Right. The Time Machine. I'm sure you also remember Filmstrip Day. What's that? Here's the Filmstrip about sand. Oh. With the beep. And you'd advance the little and you'd slide. Did, and you'd advance the slide, yeah. Yeah. The guy would be talking, beep, beep. I used to sit and write stories, actually. I, would, I think I slept through most of those. I would always make sure that I sat next to the window, because this way, even when the shades was pulled, there was a little bit of light that was coming out. Yeah. And when they had that stuff, even when the teacher was up there, I used to get in trouble for that, because I'd be writing stories while the teacher's talking, mm-hmm. and then they would call my parents, and my father said, well, why are you doing that? Dad, he's boring the shit out of me. Yeah. My father said, can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, like I said, start with that at the opera, because it's fairly plot-worthy. For those of you who need a plot. I don't know if I would go to Day at the Races after that. I would maybe go to the middle Paramount stuff, to Monkey Business, Animal Crackers. But then again, it's because Monkey Business, is, like I said, I've said, is my favorite of all of their films. Okay. Then go into the rest of the Paramount, then come back to Day at the Races, and then if you really feel like you have to, go into that ass end of their career. You think we're joking. This stuff is painful. Yeah, it is. Once you get to that period, it does get pretty bad. These movies, by the way, if your cable or satellite provider has turned on classic movies, usually what they'll do is that on Rachel Mark's birthday, they will run right. the Marx Brothers movies, and then in August, what they do is that they have this thing called Summer Under the Stars, where they'll take one day and they'll focus on one star, right. and 24 hours they'll show just their movies. So you can wait for them. Guaranteed, they will show all of the Marx Brothers right. movies, as well as a whole bunch of other ones from Groucho's later career mm-hmm. when it was just him without his brother. Where you have things like, I remember this cameo too in uh, Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter. Yeah. Where he ends up being the guy that the girl goes back to mm-hmm. at the very end of the film. That was when, didn't he do one with Marilyn Monroe? Well, that was Love Happy. Love, Love Happy, Happy was one of yeah. those first films. Right. In fact, Universal put out, and I think it might be out of print at this point, mm-hmm. a really magnificent set in a 
case of the five Paramount films. Okay. They're all bare bones. There are no commentaries or anything, but mm. there's one disc, and on one of the discs, there is a couple of shot of stuff of, like, Groucho appearing on the Today Show, and at one point he starts talking about how they all kind of knew something was up with Marilyn Monroe the second she walked in for her audition. Really? Of course, keep in mind, it's Groucho talking later in his life, so mm-hmm. say that with a... Uh, I remember, and matter of fact, Turner's Classic Movies showed it not too long ago. I love Turner Classic mm-hmm. Movies. The Dick Cavett, they ran a whole day, they did the Dick Cavett interviews that he did with a right. variety of people such as Woody Allen and Groucho Marx. Mm-hmm. He was one of the few people that was able to get Groucho Marx for an interview. Very fascinating stuff. One of the Dick Cavett ones that I remember very vividly was when he was on PBS. Mm-hmm. When he did the two-part with Robin Williams, and Robin Williams was first coming out and probably, like, coked up to his eyeballs. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, he was buzzed on the stuff constantly. Which... From what I understand, if I remember correctly, it was about five minutes of actual interview and about 55 minutes of Robin Williams just running around the set like a maniac going, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, during the improv. Well, they said that most of his shows during that period. Yeah. That's what it was. It was totally improvised. He'd come out there, coked up to the gills, and it was two hours. He would do just improvisation. Mm-hmm. Brilliant stuff. But he was on and he had missed to this day. Some of those concerts, he said he doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. He said, but they tell me it was brilliant, so he said, yeah. who am I to contradict them? So, we recommend, if you're interested in comedy... Yes. You should check out the Marx Brothers. Absolutely, without a doubt. Because they are very cool. They might not do fart jokes and curse and stuff, but their humor, I think, still will last long past the times that we have the modern comedian. I think Adam Sandler will be forgotten in about 40 years. Ah, you know what? I don't think Adam Sandler is going to be forgotten. I seriously think that Adam Sandler is going to distinguish himself as a dramatic actor. I think he's going to leave comedy behind. He's going to go into They got this stupid movie coming out, and I can see the trailer, and I can already tell. I know what's eerie about Grown Ups. I don't want to see looking at, because, you know, the advertisement is the old photographs up on the side of the bus. I've seen the bus advertisement and realizing Chris Rock has always looked like Chris Rock. Always looked like Chris Rock, (laughs) That's just totally scary. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, but I saw the trailer for that, and... As soon as they got to the gag with the pool mm-hmm. and they got the water turns blue, I said, no, I don't want to see that. And people say, oh, man, that shit's funny. Well, no, it's not to me it's not. And people keep asking, well, Derek, what is funny? Well, I don't know, but if I laugh at it, yeah, then it's funny. To be fair, Adam Sandler did make one truly great and funny comedy, which is Happy Gilmore. Oh, Happy Gilmore, yeah. Okay, now Happy Gilmore, I can sit and watch that over and over again. That was funny. Yeah. Best Adam Sandler performance I ever saw, Punch Drunk Love. And what's fascinating about Punch Drunk Love to me is that it's his character from all of his comedy. Yes, that's what in a real world context. If this character actually had to deal realistically in a realistic way with people, yeah. that's what it is, yeah. And I would also say that if it wasn't for the fact that it was set in this absolutely horrific and offensive, I felt, on every level setting, I thought that his performance in Spanglish was also very good. Okay. I've I never mean, seen it, but I heard good things about it. They say I, he was I, very I good find, yeah, I hated that film so much. Mm-hmm. But I felt that his performance in it was actually pretty damn good. Okay. I think that most of these people that we think of as comedic... Will Ferrell, I don't think Will Ferrell's going to be remembered 40 years from now. Best Will Ferrell performance? Wasn't in a comedy. Was in the movie with Emma Thompson. She was the writer that was writing right. his life. 
that was the best Will Ferrell. Although I will admit, yeah, folks, it was a stupid as hell, but I don't yeah. know. I laughed my ass. But you know something? It also could have been that I was at a pretty depressive point in mm-hmm. my life because that was when I was in the hospital with the uh, embolism. So I watched Blades of Glory. Yeah. And I laughed my ass. It could have been just that I needed something to make me laugh, yeah. and that was it. Anchorman, there was some things in Anchorman I like. I like the rumble that they have yeah. with the various news groups as street gangs. But except for that, I... No, Will Ferrell is not funny to me. I'm sorry. Who else is not funny? I'm sorry. Jim Carrey is another one. I like his dramatic work better than, mm-hmm. as we said, I love the Truman Show. I think far too often, we come back to this again, is that the problem with many of these quote-unquote comedians mm-hmm. is that their humor is based in the now. Yeah. In the right this second. People like the Marx Brothers, to a lesser extent, people like W.C. Fields. Mm-hmm. Or Laurel and Hardy or Abbott and Costello. Their humor is not anchored to what's going on right this second. There's a reason why these people are still funny and people from five or ten years ago, why they're not funny. And let's face it, most of the comedians that they have coming out today, they are so cookie cutter and we've talked about this before. They have the same generic career. They go on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. They do a couple of specials. They do enough specials just to negotiate a deal with ABC or CBS to get a sitcom. They do a sitcom for five to seven years. Then they do some lame-ass movies. For example, where's what's-his-name now from Everybody Loves Raymond? Where's Ray Ray Romano? Romano. I have no idea. Thank you. It's gone. You know why? Ray Romano wasn't funny. But they still make the syndication money. Which is the point. They want to get to that magic number. They can make the syndication money. The 100th episode rule. And then they can sit on their ass. Right. And especially now, syndication money is far more lucrative than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Especially now that they've got also a hand in DVD money now. So you can do a series, go into syndication, and literally never have to work for the rest of your Mm -hmm. life. You can sit back and just collect... The syndication and well, look, DVD. Look at Jerry Seinfeld. And DVD money. Whether you like him or hate him is beside the point. The fact is, he makes enough money off of Seinfeld that he can pick and choose what he does. Exactly. For the rest of his life. And what has he done? He went back to do stand-up comedy because that's what he really liked. He did a movie, which was actually a documentary about stand-up comedy. He did a kid's movie. And now he's doing this marriage ref thing because I think yeah, it's people, something... Uh, you get the impression he's actively only doing things that he thinks is really interesting and fun for him. And I haven't seen it, but I want to get it. As a matter of fact, that's the show I want to start watching anyway, Curb Your Enthusiasm, where they had a kind of Seinfeld reunion, Mm because it was a plot line that was going on, and his Seinfeld cast was on it. Now see Jerry Seinfeld. He's funny. His model was Abbott and Costello. The reason why Seinfeld was so funny to me was that, let me put it this way, I can't stand the sitcoms. It's the bumbling husband who's usually Mm -hmm. a slob, who's got the hot wife, and he's got the... Kevin James and Leah Remini. Okay, love her, I can't I, okay. stand him. I want to make this very clear. I find Leah Remini a detestable human being. She's one of these Scientologist types mm-hmm. who is really freaking obnoxious about it and poses it on every possible conversation she can, but my God, is she smoking. And you know, in real life, this woman would never marry that no. guy. No, she wouldn't. It's all the same. Here's the line, here's the setup line, punchline. Here's the setup, punchline. That's stupid. Seinfeld actually had stories, and the comedy and the humor came out of the character and the situations they found themselves in. The thing that is fascinating for, like, the first couple of seasons, the ones that Larry David was producing before he left, once David left, Seinfeld became about, let's just emulate Abbott and Costello routine. The thing that I always found fascinating about the Larry David-produced Seinfeld is it was a meta-text. It was a sitcom about being on a sitcom. Sitcom, yeah. Exactly. Because they went out of their way to not... 
do anything on the show. The only sitcom that I watch right now is Modern Family. Okay. Which I think works because it's not a bunch of comedians. It's people who are actual actors. Yeah. Doing a comedic thing. Yes, okay, you have Ed O'Neill married to, to Stephanie Vargas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, that might not work in real life, but they sell it. Because Ed O'Neill, he's not a comedian. He's a comedic actor, right. which is something completely different, folks. You have your comedians and you have your comedic actor. And I leave it to you to judge which is which because we got to pull out of here. You got to yeah. do your we gotta do administrative. Our I think this is going to be one of these episodes that a lot of people are going to like because even though it was supposed to be about a topic, we didn't stay on there very long, did we? We never do. But which is a good thing well. about this. Right. And you know what? We don't worry about it. It's all good. That's right. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to tell us that this is all corny and give you a Dane Cook film retrospective any day. Oh, Lord. Why, people? Somebody out there must be making Dane Cook popular. Although, again, this is another actor. Can't stand his comedy. You know what I liked him in, though? What? Mr. Brooks. We played a dramatic role. He, he was like the detective, right? He was the peeping Tom photographer who okay. actually took a picture of Mr. Brooks, played by Kevin Costner, right. when he was in the middle of a murder. So he goes to his office, and you think he's going to blackmail him for money? Mm-hmm. No, he blackmails him because he wants to learn how to be a serial killer. Yeah, if you haven't seen Mr. Brooks, folks, well, I've always Netflix said, it. That you know was what? at Dane Cook. I said, my God, I hate this guy when he does his comedy, but he's really I've always said that many comedians could actually be really great dramatic performers because it's hard to sell a joke. Yeah. And one of the first things they tell you as an actor is if you believe in the veracity of the situation you're in, you can sell it. When you're in a comedy, you have to sell that reality. If you can sell the reality of something totally ridiculous, you can sell the reality of something totally serious. Well, look at somebody, for instance, like Red Buttons. Red Buttons, who was a comedian, but if you look at most of his movie yeah. roles, 90% of his movie roles were dramatic. Mm-hmm. He didn't do comedy in the movies. He did it on TV right. and in Las Vegas, but when he did a movie, he didn't do it. He played absolutely serious and was always convincing. There are a number of ways you can reach us. You can send us an email to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join one or both of our message boards. The official Better in the Dark message board, which was started by our good friend Eric Frome, can be accessed at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Or when you're on earth2.net, download the latest episode, click on forms on the left-hand side, take a minute to sign up, and join the fun over there. You can follow both Derek and I on Facebook. We don't use any silly names, we're just right there. Derek Ferguson and Thomas DJ. Join the Facebook page, where we usually give a lot of little previews of the episodes as I'm editing them. Like I make silly little comments, Yeah. post about stuff. Like this morning I revealed that in the episodes coming out this Sunday, we do reveal what quantum stands for. Okay. You can also go to our live journal. Tom's is Space Monkey Mafia. And Derek's is Derek Ferguson's notebook. Well, by the time this will go up, mm. hopefully you've seen it already because I posted the rules of yes. our Summer of Fun Cowboy Contests on there, as well as little thumbnails of the swag that they right. can win if they decide to enter. Which, contest. mind you, is still open uh, as of this listening, because you're probably going to hear this in late July or very early August. It's still open, so we're looking for those entries, folks. And if you missed some of this information I've imported on you and want to know more, simply put, go to Kelly Loge's wonderful Better in the Dark Central at www.bitdsite.com and you will see all of our back catalog. You will see the Hottie Hall of Fame. 
You will see all sorts of stuff. So anything you need to do related to Better in the Dark, you can do from there. You can find it there. So that is it for our discussion. I think we can boil this down. This two, well, it's going to be almost two-hour raw feed. Mm-hmm. We can boil it down to one statement. Go see some March Brothers movies, damn it. Yeah, that's it. And we're out. I'm Derek Ferguson. And I'm Tom DJ. It's B-I-T, B-I-T, B-I-T-D, the movie podcast. And, and until next time, time go, go see, see that March Brothers, Brothers movie. movie. Good, night. Good night. God bless. What do you say, Cap, we build right about here? Here? Yeah, right about here. Oh, uh, I'd like something over here if I could get it. I don't like Junior crossing the tracks on his way to the reform school. Lydia, roll Lydia, say You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E. J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Big Willie and the Samurai of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Chinstroker and Punter, Scott Gardner of Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, Eric Frome, and of course, the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark doesn't work for you, it works for Mr. Thalberg. What was that? Dead? Damn it! Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitdsite.com. Past episodes are now streaming on the Movies About Girls Network at www.loudcaster.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that the juxtaposition of her overbearing hotness and her overbearing attempts at Scientology recruiting may in fact make Leah Remini the devil. When her muscles start relaxing, up the hill comes Andrew Jackson. That encyclopedia, Lydia the... Bra- bravo, bravo, bravo! Well, I made it. How soon does the curtain go up? The curtain is for three foot to go up again next season. You've missed the entire opera. Well, I only missed it by a few minutes.